Support for Waveform comes from Anthropic. So looking for an AI solution for a business, it might be time to check out the Claude 3 family from Anthropic, your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. So whether you're powering a customer chat experience or doing complex R&D or need advanced analysis, Anthropic can help provide you with frontier intelligence. So if you're looking for speed, power, or anything in between, the Claude 3 family offers AI models for a variety of tasks and budgets. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the PropG Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. back to another episode of the Waveform Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Marquez. And I'm Andrew. And we've got a bunch of pretty random hot takes on news, on electric cars, and on clubhouse features. Then we've got a little Q&A chatting with you guys and a little retro tech teaser. I might say a little more than I'm supposed to, but it's a good one. Buckle up. All right. So right off the top, LG Mobile has officially been cut off. It's officially over. The official, official. Officially, official. We, we've talked about it a couple times previously, like, well, looks like LG might be shutting down. And we've, we've gone over this topic, but now we have an official statement from LG. The writing was on the wall, but now it is official that they're moving on. They'll be focusing on other things. And we did a video on why, which I thought was a sort of an appropriate end to put a bow on it of why we think, you know, LG didn't really have much of a reputation. And now we know that they needed they needed a reputation to survive. Yeah, and in the smartphone industry, they have a fantastic reputation when it comes to displays especially. I, I honestly think they're the leading display manufacturer and obviously appliances, they're huge. And it's didn't it even say they were looking at focusing on like EV battery technology and stuff Electric like that? Electric vehicle components is on yeah. the list. Okay. I don't know components. if that just means screens or sure. what other type of stuff they have in mind, but I, I feel like when they say growth areas, yeah. making screens in electric cars is probably a growth area. So yeah, they have yeah. no doubt, folk, it's a business decision. That's basically for what sure. we come, came down to at the end of the day for our video is like, all right, there are a bunch of different things LG does, appliances, screens, televisions, whatever else. And sometimes you're able to subsidize a losing business with a business that makes money. Mm -hmm. I'm sure washers and dryers are doing great for them. And maybe they're using some of that money to put into development of some things that lose money for them. And I guess after a while, smartphones just kept losing money for so long that they didn't really see 
themselves becoming competitive again and turning that into a winning business. And so it was over. There's lots of other small stories happening behind the scenes, yeah, which yeah. are kind of like, oh, well, did they get the fairest treatment? It seems like they made some pretty underrated phones. Maybe their reviews should have been more positive. Maybe people should have sold and shared their phones more. Um, at the end of the day, I think it, it comes down to what LG was doing or not doing yeah. for the most part. They didn't really have too much of a, a memorable marketing presence for the past like decade of smartphones. So I, I, we went back and for this video, we're researching and watching a lot of old LG yeah. phone ads. Fun. And they- It was interesting. It was, yeah. <laughs> they didn't do a great job. I mean, I think a perfect example is we had to go back and look at them because none of us remembered them. Yeah, right. It would be hard to remember. Like even with OnePlus, you know, hashtag never settle is a thing. And you know the flagship killer thing that they've been like trying to push on mm -hmm. people. With LG, aside from the stuff that you hear from reviewers, like what a great quad DAC and what an underrated phone, what do you hear from LG? And the answer was not much. And that kind mm -hmm. of felt like it was just another appliance to them. So definitely watch that video. It's worth checking out if you if you want us you know, to uncover that whole story. I feel like we did a good job. And uh, I'm, I'm a little biased, but there's some other good ones out there. Also, Mr. Mobile did a more retrospective look yeah. at a bunch of great LG moments over the years. Fun fact, my first ever smartphone was LG Voyager. If that's the first ever smartphone, I had one too. I actually, I broke it in a way I never thought was possible. Same. I, uh, okay, Same. let's compare stories. Okay, so, yeah, okay. definitely. So I was um, I was at a Devil's game and going back to my friend's apartment because he was going to school in NGIT. I had to go to the bathroom so bad, I was running off the subway, tripped over a curb, slammed into the ground, knew that I damaged my phone somehow, but I had to go to the bathroom, get to the bathroom, go look at my phone, the outside screen's completely shattered, and I think to myself, whatever, I can still use it, the inside screen will be fine, open it up and just pieces of glass fall out of the inside <laughs> of the phone, and I managed to shatter both screens in one trip. That is impressive. We have a curb in common with our story. <laughs> I got out of, I, my vague memory is I got out of a taxi cab in New York City, and you know how your phone will like kind of slide out of your pocket slowly if you mm -hmm. sit in a car long enough? Yeah. So it had been sliding out of my pocket. As I got out of the car, the phone fell out of my pocket, landed on the curb, and I immediately stepped on the phone Oof. onto the curb, which kind of like snapped the hinge and left like exposed wires. Oh, no. It still worked, but it was obviously like the end of that phone. Uh, yeah. Definitely messed it up Who's, on a curb. Speaking of phone sliding out of pocket, what was that one phone that like, do you remember it got leaked because it slipped out of somebody's pocket on stage? That was like oh. an iPhone, wasn't it? Okay, so after like a couple of minutes of searching here, I, I finally found what I was talking about. I'm glad I'm not going crazy. Um, Tim Cook was at, doing an interview at Oxford and his iPhone 10 like literally fell completely out of his pocket. Like almost like it was scripted it, it like slides out and you can see the new camera and like the apple logo and everything and then it just falls on he takes a look at it and just like puts it face down oh on i'm the just couch. watching it now oh he just he knows and he looks yeah, around yeah. like did anybody else see that i hope nobody else saw that but there's a camera facing right there so that like man i miss leaks that were funny or something like that not just like someone on Twitter giving the entire thing away in one tweet. Yeah, I don't know how I forget. This is perfect. This is like yeah. the greatest leak of all time. Literally Tim Cook sitting on stage, the new phone falls out of his <laughs> pocket and he looks around awkwardly hoping no one saw. That's perfect. That's and, how I want all leaks to be. And like the 10 was 
different enough on the back because it went to the horizontal double camera instead of the verticals or the, sorry, sorry. It went to the vertical double camera rather than the horizontal. So it's very obviously something that hasn't been seen before. Wow. Yeah. It was only iPhone 10 was when we were still not getting crazy leaks, I guess. Yeah. It's kind of funny Things that have changed. That he he just walks around with the new unreleased phone in his pocket. Like he just goes on stage with it, probably just walks around Apple campus, doesn't think too much of it. Yeah. He's just using testing phones. I'm surprised there's not like a case on it or something to yeah. throw somewhat of a scent off. But yeah. I wonder if all Apple employees test their new phones with no case. Naked phone. They like, have to like pre-release. Like yeah. what oh man, <laughs> I feel like there's probably a like a rule that you can't do that. That seems way too Ever since the phone got left behind in that bar, I don't think there's any chance anyone at Apple is allowed to like go that far without with an yeah. unreleased phone. These days, there's the whole business of like camouflaging phones in large, like you know, super bulbous cases, so you yeah. can't see the designs. Like when OnePlus sent uh, the OnePlus Nine Pro to me early, like super early mm -hmm. uh, for camera testing. Uh, it was in this huge case, and I, I wasn't allowed to look at or know about the design, which was hilarious because days later they leaked essentially. I think like but by the shared, time we had it, there were leaks out yeah, already. Leaks yeah. were out, but they they share their own designs, so it was kind of funny that I was holding the phone in this case, unable to know what it looks like, but also looking at pictures of <laughs> yeah, it on the internet. On it was kind of great. That's funny though. Good good job, Tim Cook. I hope you keep carrying around new iPhones uh, and having them slide out your pocket. It's beautiful. All right. So speaking of giant tech companies, uh, Google has a rumor in the new, I'm bad at transitions, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, there's a rumor. Five out of 10. <laughs> thank you. There's a, a Google Pixel 6 rumor. And the rumor goes like this. It's from 9to5Google saying, Pixel 6 will be powered by the new Google-made Whitechapel chip that will also power a future Chromebook. So Google Silicon is in the news. GS101 is the name of the chip. And uh, essentially we're looking forward to possibly Google making their own chip in the, in the Pixel enabling, maybe matching sort of Apple levels of performance and vertical integration sounds like a great idea. I think matching Apple Silicon is probably the headline everyone wants to hear and probably will be thrown around, but I don't know if we can go quite that far. Maybe not on the yet. first gen. Yeah, not sure. first gen. Um, but I'm excited for it to happen. One, because just like more competition is really cool. That's why we're mad LG's gone. Um, but it does make a lot of sense because weren't we just reading something that Chromebooks are like, one of the most popular laptops laptops out there, or Chrome OS is becoming one of the most popular operating systems. And that's because there's hundreds of thousands of them outside in every school you could ever think of. And while maybe to the consumer tech people, they're not sprouting up like a, like a MacBook or whatever, but they're out there. And if Google can create their own chip to power all of these, it makes perfect sense. So why not also then be able to put in a phone. I think this is a big deal. I think it is. For the, yeah, I yeah. think it's a big deal for the for the phone especially. The reason is we we've expected for so long like Nexuses and Pixels to be that perfect level of like Android as it was intended yes. optimization. And to an extent they can do that because Google designs the hardware around the software. They can make a phone with hardware features that match what's going on inside of Android things like squeezing, things like you know dragging up from the corner. Mm -hmm. All the hardware can be perfectly matched to the software. But the one thing they could never perfectly match was just an off-the-shelf chip from Qualcomm. It's not gonna be perfectly optimized for exactly. the way Android is written, because Qualcomm makes a ton of stuff. They make a ton of chips. They make chips that they know are gonna be in Android phones, but also other stuff. 
So when Apple's over here in one corner, making the software and the hardware and designing the chips and the optimization is amazing, I think if Google can hire the right team and make the right investments and design chips that get made specifically for Pixel, they can ideally achieve a pretty impressive optimization. And we see benefits for things like performance and battery life. I don't know if it'll be A15 level optimization right yeah. off the bat. Apple's been doing it for a long time, but I think it's a big deal for Pixel to even start off on that path. Yeah, I mean, all we ever talk about when you're comparing, it's almost hard at this point to compare iOS and Android devices because the huge benefits iOS is exactly what you said, the just complete functionality because they make literally everything inside of it. Yeah. So the fact that we're even just getting another step closer to that becoming something on Android is amazing. It's just like, it's really cool to think about. I, do I think they're going to pull it off perfectly right away? Probably not, but I think we'll definitely see benefits in the first iteration of it. And while the Pixel lineup hasn't had the best success, I think the Pixel 5 kind of settled down to what they knew they were good at and they they did that. I know we're all sad that there's no XL version or there was no flagship level of it, but I think they needed to take that step back and kind of find their, their not even niche, but just find what they were good at, do it correctly, no more solely, no more bathtub notch on the top of it. They just, they fun. found their hardware, they found everything that was good about it. I think the Pixel 5 is a great phone. I'm excited and hoping that this will now make the next step towards Pixel becoming a flagship line again. Yeah. And some good competition. Here's the other interesting uh, storyline in this is Google makes Android and they make an Android phone. And a lot of other companies also make competing Android phones. Yeah. So I, I've thought about this a little bit and I think I've asked another person at a company this, but when you make the software and you have competing OEMs, Google has had to like walk this fine line of being a competitor in this ecosystem that they've built where the Pixel as an Android phone has sort of the same level of access to Google features and Google software as all the rest of Android phones. Mm -hmm. And this takes it off of that equal playing field. When you get to design your own silicon and design Android around that silicon, yeah. you have a unique advantage and a competitive advantage that can kind of turn some of these OEMs against you. Like, what do you mean you're going to make your own? Like, this is an unfair advantage that you're giving yourself. And I wonder how they've thought about that. Because if, look, for me, I feel like that's a win because the Pixel just got better. Yeah. But when you think about, like, if you're a competitor, if you're a Samsung, do you, do you think, oh, now we better not use Android anymore. We better design our own OS and our own silicon so we can compete. I don't know how the market reacts or how Google thinks about this, but I do feel like that's pretty substantial. I think... It's also interesting because we've heard talks of other smartphone manufacturers creating their own software or operating system, right? Haven't we've heard rumors of Samsung doing it? We've heard rumors of Huawei doing it. Yeah. Is this going to be, I mean, it's far along. Assume, I mean, we don't really know, I guess. We don't know how far into testing it is. And we've just been living Android iOS for so long. We can't really think that far about it, but would this be the push? Because why would you want to continue to compete on the system that now another phone has a giant upper hand on you with? Right. Or yeah. does Google balance that? Are they going to take advantage of it in certain ways in optimization, but they still have to now focus on making sure Samsung, Huawei, whoever, any other Android of their competitors, they need to also, 
they're also making them money. It's a very weird Yeah, situation. it's an interesting relationship. As far as I know, in the past, you know, the Pixel team would get access to AOSP at the same time every other Android manufacturer did. It wasn't like there was any sort of early... I think there were other phones that launched with versions of Android before the Pixel because they mm-hmm. just had access at the same time. There wasn't any special treatment or any unfair advantage. So it's just, just curious to me, like, what's going to happen when there's like no more reason not to buy a Pixel. When the Pixel has the best performance, the best battery life, and the best cameras, then what happens? It'll be it'll be cool to see. It'd but, be uh, nice if Pixel could get that yeah, way because be. they're far away away right now. Exactly. Um, well, this is a good, this is a step in the right direction for Google, and we'll see how the the rest react. Uh, someone's um, still on a Pixel Four. I'm really hoping that they they step it up for sure. Uh, we're gonna get to Q and A in a little bit, but I also wanted to talk a little bit about EVs. Because it's waveform and of course. it's what we do. Why not? But uh, there's, I had a thought recently, and I just wanted to put it out there in, in the universe, and maybe you'll have some reactions to this. Let's just start with a, a thought. Okay. And that theory is, eventually, all cars sold will be electric. That's like where this theory starts, right? Now, in order to get all cars electric, you actually have to make a bunch of different types of electric cars that have a bunch of different types of advantages to going electric. So right now we have sports cars, we have sedans, we have crossovers, we have pickup trucks, we have vans, we have all these different things. And right now there's a gas version of all of these and they all attack that niche a different way. Mm -hmm. And I think in the very beginning of electric cars, because we only have like five or six, we only have like Tesla, and Rivian and like three or four other existing made electric cars, we all sort of compare them to everything. But I think we're going to start to see much more focused niche versions of electric cars that actually attack like their specific markets. So Cybertruck, for example, is specifically an electric pickup truck, and it has to win at things like towing capacity, at like versatility, clearance, range, storage, where an electric sports car might have to attack a totally different audience where it has to have performance and driving dynamics and has to attack weight and handling. So I I say all this because Mercedes EQS is coming up and a bunch of things have leaked and we're actually working on our own piece about it. You'll see it soon. Mm -hmm. But I think it's the perfect category to go straight to electric right now and beat the gas version, which is a big luxury sedan. It's just a huge car, just a big four-door, like lots of space, lots of storage, quiet, drives like a boat, doesn't have to be sporty. Yeah, it's like the buyer, the buyer who buys that like Mercedes S-Class would love this electric version because it's better in every way. It's more storage. It's quieter since they love cabin quietness. It drives a little bit better because it's just a big electric battery and two motors, and it's just got all the tech in the world. It feels like, uh, like if you're comparing the EQS to like a Model S, it's like comparing a yacht to a uh, like speedboat. Yeah, like in you feel like you're inside a yacht in there, like or you're inside like a fancy hotel. Yeah, the driving experience is probably like I mean a Tesla's going faster as far as I remember exactly i think that i mean all electric cars are fast i think that's really going to be the biggest difference when all these people are going from gas to electric is they're going to realize even the like quote-unquote lower models of ev cars are just quick they're all just so quick i drive like a pretty little kind of sporty impreza and it's slow it is very slow 
any, literally any electric car would blow that thing out of the water like absolutely nothing. Yeah, and so that makes me curious. So now, okay, so you, ha- so imagine if you wanted to go electric, if Subaru had to make an electric version mm-hmm. to get you to switch to electric specifically, could they do it now? And my answer is probably, okay, let's say we take the same body, we put batteries in, you probably get a little bit more space, especially in the center, maybe a little bit of a bigger trunk. It's still a hatchback. It's going to be quieter. That might not really matter so much to you. It's probably a little sportier because it's obviously electric. But, you know, in that specific buy, people look for clearance, off-road ability, versatility with charging. I think, like, if Subaru wanted to hammer out, like, a niche for an electric version, it would have to really focus on, like, range. Mm -hmm. Mostly range because, like, they're known as these, like, kind of off-road. And the, the great thing about it, it would have to have dual motor because, like, Subaru is 100% minus their BRZ behind all-wheel drive. Like, that is their shtick. It is, that's the main reason I bought it. It's like the, one of the better all-wheel drives you could buy at like one of the cheapest price points. Yep. And we get some nasty snow here every once in a while. So it would have to have dual motors and it would have to have an, a crazy range. And then, like you said, storage space. People generally buy those because they can go off. No one's really going off-roading, but you know, Just you can go ability. camping. You don't have to worry about potholes or anything. like. That's that's the niche you would carve out. Yeah, so often I feel like the sportiness of electric vehicles is like the best and worst thing about them because people see that an electric version is sporty and they immediately go to start comparing it to sports cars mm-hmm. where they get caught up in, oh, it doesn't have the same soul or the same character or the same driving dynamics. It's never, I don't I want I don't want to say never, but it's it's not really winning at being a sports car. Sports cars are still kind of untouched right now. I mean, we had the we had the the Rimac Concept One, which is kind of a hypercar type thing. But even a Model Three isn't quite keeping up with a lot of the things people like sports cars for. It's close. It's very sporty. But there are sports yeah. cars that just are untouched by. Model I think that's 3. what's fun about it, though, is you can have a car that feels like your regular car, or even even better, you can have a Model Y or a Model X that is like a family car. You can put your kids in it. They're very safe. You can look groceries around but you know if you're by yourself and you just want to floor it you can and it's a lot of fun and you don't sacrifice that by getting a quote-unquote family car this is like uh, imagine if uh like 20 years ago when minivans were the the big thing if you could say like yeah you know you have to trade in your camaro for a minivan but it does zero to 60 in 3.5 and you'd Mm. be like all right it's a little fun every once in a while you know what it is it's the ultimate distraction Every electric vehicle is somewhat faster and sportier, and it is kind of distracting sometimes. Like the Lucid <laughs> Air. Remember, like this Lucid, yeah. when we sat in the back of the Lucid Air, you're in like the back of a limo. It's really- like it's a glass ceiling. It's ultra luxury, massaging, reclining, jetliner seats. And Lucid's out here making drag race videos. Yeah, like zero weird. to 60 and 1200 horsepower matter to someone in a limo. Yeah. Like it's such a distraction. Now with a Tesla, it makes sense because they're they're kind of leaning into it. Like they're building plaid yeah. and a roadster, and they're they're getting into that sporty demographic. But like Cybertruck, I don't so, really care if it's fast. You're you know? saying it's like a marketing distraction where everyone's way too focused on it. When we should just understand that all of these are very quick. That's cool, but like only a couple of them have really are attracting the people who care about that zero to sixty time. Maybe it's time to start pushing the marketing on something else, and then 
being being yeah. the reason that's why people buy that EV. Yeah, be better at other things. Like, yes, you're going to be quicker, but if that's the only thing you're leaning into that's better about your electric version, that's not actually sometimes why people are buying the electric exactly. version. If the EQS was just an S-Class but faster, it wouldn't have nearly the same appeal. I think it's because it's quieter, it's more cabin space and all these other things. That's what makes it a better version from going electric. Yeah, it's a distraction. It's exactly why, though, we created that Tesla LoveJ project. And like, I think the reason people still argue that we only won that because of views, which uh, I don't know how they voted for it, but I, the whole thought process behind that was here's a car that can do every single thing a, a regular car can do. But oh, wait, if you want to drag race a Lamborghini with uh, the Christmas tree and some groceries in the back seat, you can still do that. Yeah. And that's what made that that fun. It's um, kind of like why I've said, I think I've said on this podcast that Model S is kind of like the overall best possible daily driver is because it's so versatile and it does kind of everything. It has a huge amount of storage compared to every other car. It has excellent performance compared to every other car. It has the best range of any other electric car. Like it's just at the top of so many lists. I think it's the safest car in the world. Like when you put all those things into one car, it's kind of undeniable. But if you're just trying to get like a little two door, like if you drive a smart car, you don't care about half that stuff. If I told you you could have a hatchback with like mm. X cubic feet of storage, you'd be like, no, I just want to park in the tiny spot on my street. Was it Kyle, the guy that did the uh, cannonball race? Is he the one telling us the BMW i3? That's the, the I little one, right? The i4. I4? Yeah. No, are you sure? Is i4 VW? ID4 is VW. ID4. I8 is the I3 sedan. Is I3 the is the little one. one. Yeah. yeah, it's surprisingly good, right? Yeah, he said he loved it. He said it's a really fun little car. And exactly, yeah. those people don't, People who drive that don't care about a zero to 60 time. It's because it's such a distraction. It's right next to the I-8 in the store and everyone goes, well, what's this little I-4? <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. it doesn't go quite as fast, but it's like an electric version and people like ignore it. It's actually really yeah, good. People don't care about the Nissan Sentra if it's sitting on the showroom next to the GTR. Exactly. Uh, speaking of though, like if we want to go into a niche, I feel like we've seen a couple headlines of pickup trucks coming up and I really feel like that's the next big area that EV needs to hit. You, okay. you mentioned it a little bit before about Cybertruck, but we're seeing... So we're seeing an, an Hummer come out soon, but they're also going to release a truck version. I have my, a thought about that that has nothing to do with EV, but there's also now a rumor of a Silverado coming out. And then we the Rivian truck, which we've heard about. R1 and then T. we keep hearing about the Ford F-150. So it seems like people are trying to go into pickup trucks. My my first thought on the, the Hummer one is I really dislike when SUVs, they try and turn them into pickup trucks. They look I think weird. they look terrible. I hate the Jeep pickup truck. I am really sorry if someone's offended by that because I know there are people who love it. I agree with you I just on think that. it looks off. You. They look weird. Yeah. yeah. Not a huge fan. So I don't like how the Hummer one looks. I kind of right. like the Hummer EV despite not loving Hummers. But My thought process on the pickup trucks now is, okay, they're going electric. What do pickup truck people and pickup truck buyers really care about? Yeah. That's what they have to win at. Now, I'm not a pickup truck owner, so for me, this is like me reading other pickup truck reviews and watching other videos. Mm -hmm. I think uh, Zach, uh, Jerry Everything did a video a while ago, and I remember watching that and just leaving with the thought of, oh, that's not me at all. <laughs> like, you'd be like, oh, I could just I can just carry lumber whenever I want to. I'm like, why would I ever do that? But there are people who just want to be able to carry huge things sometimes. I've got a bunch of rocks in my trunk. I don't know why, but I have a pickup truck, so this is why I have I need to be able to have this type of space. That's the type of stuff electric pickup trucks have to do better than gas pickup trucks. So more towing capacity, yeah, I think, is one. Towing capacity is going to be huge, I think. The, the size of the bed, I guess, is another one. Durability of the bed. So what I do find interesting with like Rivian is when you have a pickup truck, 
the bed is generally uncovered. If you have four people in that pickup truck, you don't have a lot of space in the cabin anymore, but you started getting a little extra storage in different places. Like, you know, Rivian has that weird, it's almost like underneath the back seats, but accessible from the outside. Yep. That's a, that's a key one though. That's specifically a thing that is a win for electric trucks because Mm -hmm. that's a, that's a thing that gas trucks can't do because the drivetrain goes straight through that section. So the electric truck, boom, more storage because there is no axle that has to go from the front to the back. Yeah, and also just think about like the front trunk of most, like an, a Ford F-150 or a 250 is gigantic because there's a huge motor in it because they're usually like V8s or V10s in them. Yeah. Now you have that as trunk space instead. Like, extra storage. You were getting a bunch of extra storage in that. You were just talking about quickly like uh, the weight of it and potentially rollover, but like if you, a lot of trucks struggle with four-wheel drive because when they have an empty back, they don't have enough weight to the back wheels. But if you have a battery pack, we all know EVs are like the mm, heaviest cars. Yeah. So you're always guaranteeing you're going to have enough traction. That's actually kind of that's actually kind of brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so there are definitely some things. I'm sorry if you're a truck person and you're just like arguing at everything we said out loud because neither of us drive trucks. I don't drive truck. Um, I do think there's a huge advantage to having the bed of a pickup truck. I've debated it before. I think every time I try and fit something in the back of my car, even with it being a hatchback, and just being like, oh, this doesn't fit. Yeah, it's it, never happened it to me. It seems never. Never. Never had never like a piece once. of furniture. Never. You're going to get there eventually. I guess. I've ordered a table and a couch online, but I've up until literally up to uh, the point. nine foot Christmas tree that we got in the studio, everything has fit in the back of my car. I, I, a- I go biking and my entire two bikes fit in the back yeah. of my car. So yeah, it's That's been pretty good so far. Solid. I remember trying to buy a desk off Craigslist once and having to drive home with it uh, like poorly tied, yeah. hanging out of the back of my my trunk. But yeah, but there's people also specifically who use trucks for work that I think is a whole nother thing where like they are constantly bringing materials back and forth places that they need yeah, for sure. The truck for work. I think that's cyber trucks going after. Like I feel like people keep forgetting that the whole cyber truck design is partially like it's just wild and i'm sure there's something behind that like this is eye-catching it's gonna cause headlines but the whole point of that is that it's like a very easily created body type and they want to mass produce those mostly for working companies so you buy a fleet of them and in that fleet you can buy them and they can push them out super fast yeah it's definitely a it's definitely a part uh manufacturing decision Mm-hmm. But also it's just kind of this like brutalist, overly functional design. Like it doesn't have to be pretty. If you get a pickup truck for work, I'm sure most people aren't buying their favorite pickup truck to drive for work. They're getting the one that's big enough to fit the ladder they always need or the couple things that they always carry to work. So I feel like that's something to consider. But hey, again, if storage space is a benefit in the electric version and they can keep leaning into that, then they can keep winning that battle. Yeah, I, I even wonder about outlets and stuff like that for potentially using power tools or charging batteries on the job like that's yeah it's not it's not something that the gas versions can't do or even can't but you have to keep them running to do it exactly so i feel like having a huge battery makes it obviously a no-brainer to put a bunch of outlets in the back and things like that makes a lot of sense i think when battery tech gets really really good and we're fitting two to three times the size of batteries we have now in some of these trucks are gonna like really prevail and have huge, huge benefits over gas. Here's an idea. What if I could get an ATV and then I could drive the ATV into the trunk of the truck and then it charges the electric ATV? That would only be great if it had glass that was so strong it could kind of stop me throwing a giant metal ball at it, but not really. Yeah. 
Yeah, that would be a perfect that combo right there. That sounds pretty sick. I'd, I'd buy that. I'd probably call it like the Cybertruck or something. Uh, okay, yeah. Let's take a quick break. We got a lot more stuff to talk about because we asked you guys what you wanted to know on Twitter for a little Q&A. So we'll spend some time talking, talking tech from tweets. Alliteration. We're back. Be right back. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from NetSuite. And that's exactly what NetSuite provides, support. But what they really provide is support where you need it because no one needs help where they don't need it. So NetSuite wants to provide you with products and services that are tailor-made for your business. Help where you need it. NetSuite is a top-rated cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math, see how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended their one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks, so head to netsuite.com slash waveform. That's netsuite.com slash waveform, netsuite.com slash waveform. Support for this episode of Waveform comes from Gigabyte. There's a lot of talk out there about how AI is revolutionizing our world. Computers are writing newsletters, robotic bees are pollinating flowers, and a whole new wave of driverless taxis are popping up in cities all over the world. But how can AI power our passions and what we do for fun? That's where Gigabyte's AI gaming laptops come in. So their range of powerful and portable new laptops deliver cutting edge performance for anyone looking to explore the brave new world of AI powered gaming. So every 2024 Aorus machine comes equipped with the Gigabyte AI Nexus, which is like a central hub located with all the AI powered features you could hope for. So that includes super useful tools like AI Power Gear, which automatically throttles and extends your computer's battery life depending on your power source and usage. You also get access to AI Boost, which optimizes performance based on what you're doing in that moment, whether you're ripping through an FPS or running your own large language model. AI Boost automatically adjusts the GPU and processors to maximize responsiveness and deliver unparalleled efficiency. Lastly, AI Generator includes various generative AI apps for quick startup, and all 2024 Gigabyte models seamlessly integrate with tools like OpenAI and Microsoft's Copilot AI chatbot. But the Aorus 16X and the Gigabyte G6X take it to the next level with a dedicated Copilot key, allowing users to swiftly tap into productivity and generative AI capabilities. I also keep hearing AI is going to change a lot in the gaming world. Andrew, can you think of anything about that? Not just optimization, like you said, but like more personal optimization I could see happening where like maybe you're playing a competitive game like Valorant and you want higher FPS and lower resolution. Like you, you're okay versus like The Witcher where you might want 4K crispy resolution and like a lower frame rate. I think right. finding that between your computer specs and what you want might help out a lot. Nice. So all of the models that I've been talking about are available right now at orus.com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. So that's A-O-R-U-S dot com 
slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. Gigabyte, team up, fight on. All right, welcome back. Time for a little bit of Q&A. We like to do this on the podcast once in a while just because we're keeping in touch with you guys and we can answer tweets every so often, but this is a fun way to just catch up and talk about what's yeah. fun in tech. And there's always some stuff going on in the tech world. So we asked you what you wanted to know and we have a bunch of questions here. We can just go back and forth and uh, read them if you find a good one. There's also, there's one right off the top from Austin Evans that I'll just, I'll just have to answer. Just get that out of the way. I'll just have right? to get it out the way. Uh, Austin says, what's the next channel slash project you want to tackle? Austin, I, I can't tell you our blueprint, man. This is this is top secret information. Obviously, we're yeah. working on stuff, but uh, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. So this is, uh, I'll DM you. How about that? Also, we're turning Marquez into a VTuber and hiring Ken to do all of it. I so. told you not to give out our blueprint. <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's a blueprint. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I have one here. All right, Chaz asks, how goes the fitness challenge? The fitness uh, challenge. We talked about it a few episodes ago where we're yeah. all wearing Apple watches and trying to do some challenges. I think it's going pretty good. I I have been wearing, I've, I wear my Apple Watch every day, so I don't really have to think too hard about it. My mm -hmm. main challenge is always like getting in some type of workout and making sure it counts my points. But for you guys, you also have to like think about making sure you remember to wear the watch because not everybody yeah. wears one every day. So that's an extra part of the challenge for you. How's yeah, it going? I, I've like forgot. Well, we originally were only doing it for March and then we like kind of slacked in the middle because we were doing only the Apple Watch challenges. And since you have to wait a day after you, you do like a week long challenge, but then you have to wait a day. So it kept like getting staggered and we couldn't just do the whole month. So we would have times where people just forget their watches. I would go like three days without my watch. And then just like, if you forget it early in the week, you just give up on the week, um, which is kind of points to the fact that we all care way more about the challenge and less about the health benefits. Don't and give up on the week. Out. The whole week, you got to keep going. I mean, man, you can I, make a comeback. I think about the point where I just want a better excuse to not work out and play Valorant instead. But, um, but <laughs> Apple we did... Watch just needs a video game workout. That's what they really need. Yeah. It might not be as many points, that but nice. we'd all be accumulating lots of workout it points. It would be nice. Uh, we have been trying, though, we're trying this month the Challenges app, which I'm pretty sure Chaz is the one who recommended it to us. Okay. Um, but it lets you do like a month long challenge. We're still trying to figure a few things out. We would like to be able to set the point system a little differently, but for the most part, I think we're gonna give that a shot in April and see what happens. Yeah, yeah it's going pretty well. I If I had any requests for the challenges app, it still caps you at a limit in points per day. We really just wanna do unlimited point challenges. That's yeah, I think point. unlimited makes it like, uh, you don't just try and hit a, a certain thing or you don't like, there are days where I'm like, there's no way I can hit the max points today. So I just don't care anymore. And that's a terrible way to look at it. But uh, yeah, it creates a weird behavior when there's a maximum points where like, if you're at almost the maximum, then you're like incentivized to do a little more to hit the max so that you can't get caught. But if there is no max, then it almost, I feel like it makes you a little more honest about just doing as much as you can every day. If you do a big workout, you do a big workout. Yeah. If you do a small walk, you need to do a small walk. But the the 600 point system on the Apple Watch or on this Challenges app, it's a 98 point system. It still gets capped at the end of the day. And when you get near that cap, you kind of just stop doing things. It so. would be, I'm thinking of like right now, just in this conversation, two things I would love to see in some sort of like fitness wearable challenge thing. One, I would love to be able to not to use something other than an Apple Watch. Just like an app that can take the information from an Apple Watch, a Garmin, any smartwatch pretty much. Whoa. I guess the big thing stopping that is stand hours on Apple Watch because I don't know of that. Like my Garmin doesn't have stand hours, but it still does 
steps and it still does heart rate and all that stuff. So it should be able to compare notes, I guess, if like there was a, a main app it fed it to and then the app could be the one challenging things. Yeah. The second thing that just talking right now made me think if like, what if you didn't see the updates of how many points you had during the day? You just worked out. It said, congrats, you did a workout, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of the day, then it showed you how you did versus everyone else in the points. So then you weren't just constantly gunning for beating one person or whoever gets to work out the latest can try and beat the the person ahead of them. That way you just do what you think was like a good workout for the day, train hard. And then at the end of it, you see like, oh, I did the best today. Oh, I'm pretty proud of what I did, but Brandon did better than I did. I, I see where you're coming from. It does seem better for your mental health to not be watching the leaderboard all day, but that is half of what motivates me is looking at the points and seeing I'm 100 points behind and I need to do something about it. And then yeah. I do the workout. Like if I'm just sitting there and I don't know what my points are and I think, oh, I'm tired. Well, other people are tired too. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to do anything about it. But if I see like the numbers when you're gamifying the system and you can see the points tallying in real time, that's what motivates me. But maybe that's just me. Yeah, I guess I guess you could say from when we first started this and talked about it, as much as I liked the game back then, I think the game's kicking my butt at this point and I'm Fair. not enjoying it quite as much. So that's uh, I think that's where we'll end the, the fitness challenge. All right, so Elmar asks, do you ever get bored of tech just for a second? And I'm going to say no. Really? Because I I literally never get bored because there's too much stuff happening. Even in a quiet week, there's just really cool pieces of tech that exist to use. Like the last three or four months, if I ever get bored of tech, I just turn on the PS5 and I'm not bored of tech. Like there's something happening. I take the phone out of my pocket and I'm like amazed. It's kind of rare for for me to be bored of tech. I feel like though I can argue that for you against that. Okay. You play Ultimate Frisbee. Ultimate Frisbee, especially on a tournament day, is just like a complete unplug. Mm-hmm. You just, and at no point during a, a tournament are you like, oh man, I really wish I was reading The Verge right now, or I really wish I was on my phone scrolling Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like, you have you have another activity that is just completely tech unadjacent, and true. you enjoy it, and you're fine with that. True. And golf, too. But that doesn't make me bored of tech. In that moment, I'm not paying attention to tech, but I definitely wouldn't put that as the same thing as being bored of tech. I think what he means is like, do you ever wake up and go, ah, another phone? Uh, like, okay. Oh, uh, another camera. Like, genuinely, every new piece of tech is, it's kind of interesting, even if the piece of tech isn't interesting, thinking about all of the work and all of the, the strategy and deliberation that went into making that piece of tech is also almost just as interesting. So if you get another piece of tech that ends up seeming kind of similar to the first one, but you see a very different path to arrive there and a very different like intended outcome, even that's interesting. So I don't know. To me, the tech world is too nuanced and too dynamic okay. to get bored of. I guess if like if that's how you're reading the question, I don't really get bored of tech either. I mean, like I just always enjoy reading about it. Like you said, it's always fun to think about. I think the whole reason this podcast started is because you and I really enjoyed just talking about it every day at work. If I were reading as are there times where I'm just like super happy to do things other than tech? Yes. Sure. Of course. I love to go hiking. I love to be outdoors. There are are times when I'm happy that I'm doing a bunch of things where it's almost impossible to look at my phone or be on my computer and just enjoy things outside of that. Right. Okay. 
I, I feel like this one's kind of hard. What do you think the next mobile biometric tech will be? Temperature scanner, odor detector, laser guided weight scale. So just like biometrics in general, I guess it doesn't, it could be a security thing. It could okay. just be a health thing, just biometrics. Cause we've seen, we've seen a lot. So I feel like I'm going to twist this one a little bit. I'm going to twist because he says biometric tech and that's a huge world. I don't know if I'm going to oh, pick wow. the next one, but I'm going to just I'm going to narrow that to what will the next biometric sensor be in a smartphone? That's just how I read it, to right. be honest. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. like okay. there's a ton of different you know things that yeah. can happen in the biotech world. But let me just go like biometric sensor in a smartphone. And when I think about that, they're almost always identity or security related where like the fingerprint sensor was so you can pick up the phone and your fingerprint is already touching the phone naturally and so it just knows who you are and unlocks. Where an iris scanner is kind of doing the same thing. You just look at the phone, the phone looks back at you, identifies you and unlocks. Even vein ID, that's kind of what LG was trying to do here is identify you and log you in. And I think in a dream world, it's, it's completely effortless. You pick up the phone however you want and it just knows it's you. And so when I think about that, I think maybe, maybe there's some sort of like, I guess I'm just thinking of fingerprints when I say this, but some sort of like yeah. skin ID. You're thinking of a quick, the quickest way to unlock a phone securely. Yeah. Much. The, the most easy, convenient way to pick up a phone and the phone already knows it's you. If you look it in the eyes, it looks back at you. I don't, I kind of just think like we, we picked the right thing. You're either touching the phone or looking at the phone. I don't think you have to get crazy with like, breathalyzers or like laser guided weight scales or anything like that. I think it just has to be like, I'm holding the phone, make a huge fingerprint scanner so that I can just sort of touch anywhere on the screen and it knows it's me. Uh, or looking at the phone, it's it's looking back at me. It sees my face, it sees my eyes, whatever it's looking at. I actually don't think we need any extra different sensors. Is that a cop-out answer? Yeah, but... Uh... <laughs> I don't disagree. I mean, that's the most important thing, I think. I I think if you want to try and have a little fun with it, it's first of all, odor detector, as someone who forgets to wear deodorant all the time, especially after the pandemic. The phone just knows. I would love that. But I, I can see something. And remind me if this has been tried or was different, but like a imagine that now Iris Scanner is helping you scroll through your phone as you're reading an article and you're not even touching your phone anymore. Oh, it is now. Yeah. So did they try and do that? Or I remember there was a Samsung that did it. It wouldn't turn the screen off if it assumed you were looking. So there's a Samsung phone that would identify when you were looking at the phone and keep the screen on. And then you could tilt the phone up or down vertically oh, and it, okay. would, it would scroll along whatever you were reading. So if you're in a browser, you're looking at the phone, you tilt, scrolls down. Smart. Yeah. But you know. when you're teaching people new gestures, I feel like that's when it gets tougher. So even when I started going to the new Android gestures from like the, the original buttons on the bottom, despite how much better that was and how much I love it now, it's always hard to change at first. So if you can start creating things that are just completely natural, like, hey, I'm at the bottom of this page or like even, hey, I'm at the middle of the page. Can you keep the scrolling up with like how fast I'm reading? So my eyes are just locked in at a line the whole time. Huh. That seems interesting to me. Interesting. Maybe I have someday. no idea how we do it, but this is a Twitter question that we're allowed to just yeah. dream about. So. I think I think someday maybe it will get that good where you can use eye trackers and, and see where people are looking on the page. And when they arrive at the bottom, if they haven't scrolled with their thumb yet, just do it for them. Uh, Adam just told us the S4 had a head tilting 
like eye lock scrolling something that sounds pretty I was going to say, but before also. you even said, I think there was a feature, I was just going to blurt out, Samsung probably tried it, <laughs> and I was right. <laughs> All right, so I got a question here. This is a little more gear-oriented, but Chandler wants to know, how often are you shooting with the Komodo? Is it only in situations where portability and weight benefit, or has it become a replacement for any in-studio gear? I rarely use Komodo, but yes, I, I do use it when weight and specifically compact size are benefit, which often is just when you're in a really small place like a car. And a lot of times when I'm shooting A-roll in a car, we will get the, the, the Monstro sort of into the corner of the yeah. car because we'll put it on a tripod and it'll sit there and we're not driving. But beyond that, if I just need to shove a camera like really into the corner of a car or behind me in a car over my shoulder, then yeah, Komodo is pretty great for that. But yeah. Monstro is surprisingly versatile. We try not to use GoPros as much as possible. Nothing against them, just like in comparison to the other footage we're generally using for a video, it doesn't match up quite as well. So we've attached like when we have to suction cup something to a car we'll throw like an a7 on there and even that especially with sony lenses gets really front heavy and the amount of times we've like hit a pothole because we're in north jersey and the lens just like creates the whole camera just swing down and, and not hold up but it was it was really cool when we had to take in for the first time ever to be able to suction cup mount a red camera onto a car to get like Really, really nice footage, too. It also helps that it was on the completely glass roof, which is a lot easier to suction cup onto than when you have the windshield, which starts getting really tight with the uh, the front dash. But yeah, a lot of these cars coming out with glass roofs is sort of the perfect yeah, excuse to right? put a Komodo behind me. We also need to take a picture of how we like jam the tripod and Monstro in the passenger seat when well, you're doing car A roll. Yeah. It's really funny. It's really tight, too. Oh, my God. All right, this is a funny question. So in a strange turn of events, this is like a Freaky Friday situation, uh, you become Tim Cook. You just replace Tim Cook for a day. What change or new project would you do with your single day in office? You get 24 hours as Tim Cook. If wow. I had 24 hours as the CEO of Apple, I don't know if I would have time to even think of something because I would just be exploring every nook and cranny of Apple Park and every restricted access Hmm. piece in there possible um but if i want to actually answer the question uh i would make fitness challenges available cross-platform on yes. android devices which would oh. be miserable for the company oh that's not where fired. i thought you were going interesting uh -huh. i thought you were going to go like no limits multiple uh -huh. group <laughs> yeah. challenges like just take our whole previous points. question and yeah. add that to this one except now i'm tim cook nice you just like hey get me my assistant make challenges open <laughs> Uh, While I go wander around Apple yeah, Park. Yeah. And also, where's the iPhone? <laughs> um, I think if I woke up as Tim Cook for a day, I would immediately try to figure out, like, I want to see the long-term plans. And I don't know who to talk to about that. I don't know if I just intercom someone and be like, hey, show me the plans. I think, Tim, I think you're the one who has those plans. They're probably in my computer. <laughs> I'll just go through the files. But, like, it's always fascinating to me when you're in a position as the CEO of a huge tech company, I've said this before, but you're almost by definition required to have some vision of how you're going to steer this boat. You happen to be at the controls and there's a thousand horsepower and a thousand people behind you all pedaling and doing what you say and, in and iterating and making things day by day. But you have to steer this boat somewhere instead of just driving in circles. And so I kind of want to know 
what people like Tim Cook have as their vision for Apple in 10 years. They're the only one with a real answer to that question. We can all ask sure. like, oh, there'll be VR, there'll be AR stuff. Apple's going to have like a, a phone with no ports and the screen's going to be the only thing on the phone. But only people within Apple really know the answer to that question. So I'd want to look at those plans. Yeah, I feel like this question's supposed to be asking like, what fun changes would we do to Apple? But Honestly, there's just too many other things I would like to find out about Apple. Before I'd wire a YouTuber a trillion dollars. Well, I was going to say I would cash <laughs> out all of my stock and send it to Claire. And nice. then when I switch back into my regular body. You'd be like, what are all these headlines about Tim Cook wiring you all this money? That's <laughs> yeah. so weird. What happened? <laughs> yeah. No, that'd be a fun time. All right. here, Here's one for you. What's a video you've always wanted to create, but because of what you're known for, obviously tech and everything, you thought it wouldn't do well or fit on the channel? Hmm. Uh, interestingly, the more camera reviews I watch, the more I see people reviewing cameras that are specifically really great for like documentary style stuff. And the more it makes me want to go shoot a documentary with Monstro. Is this and like a criminal documentary? Is this a nature documentary? It, a it's kind of like event-based open-ended. Like it would be cool to be behind the scenes of like, Google I.O. or like a Super Bowl type thing or like a, a concert where I could have there could be a bunch of shooters all behind the scenes interviewing and like literally the behind the scenes of how something like that happens. And there's almost no way for me to put that together. I don't know if it's because of the channel or because of like the the breadth of cameras and shooters needed and how long that would take to edit. And by the time it comes out, the event happened months ago and it's like almost pointless to make the video, but I kind of just want to make it and just have it's, that experience, you know? It's funny because that wouldn't work on the channel just because of the pure effort and everything and, and like time that it would take. But in terms of the actual video, that would probably fit on the channel perfectly. Interesting. Like yeah. I would kill, you mentioning that though, I would love to be part of some like really cool wildlife documentary. Like, I don't know. It sounds kind of cool camping out in some like, little camouflage hut to try and get the the super long shot of a like snow leopard that hasn't been seen in three years okay here that's a i had an idea you know what we have to do so you know how every time we watch planet earth we're like how how do they get that shot how did yeah. they actually get that shot i would love to see slash make an entire like feature length film on how the planet person. earth gets their shots uh, so literally like the drone shots where they fly through oh yeah like hordes of birds and, and locusts the time lapses of like a flower coming up through like an iceberg as it melts like all these crazy shots they think of with animals i i can't believe how many great shots they get so i would love to watch or make that i don't know when i saw this it was a long time ago i don't know where i found it it was on like amazon prime or something but i found this documentary that was all about this one guy trying to get the shot of this like super rare tiger in Asia or mm -hmm. something like that. And it was fascinating seeing this like, he didn't even like live in a hut. It was basically just like a hole that was about as shallow as his body and then like a board over top of it. And he like laid in that hole for like three days to shoot this. I cannot for the life of me think of what the name of the movie was. And when I look up tiger documentary, I only get Tiger King and something about Tiger Woods. So uh, if anybody out there can yeah. remember what the name of this documentary is and send it to me, I would be very grateful because I'd love to watch it. But it was similar to that, except it was all about one specific shot, but yeah. it's still like 
an hour long. I would watch like a like a compilation of like all the ten, people five together. to ten minute clips of like here's the shot. Now here's how they made it. Now here's the shot. Now here's how they made it. Now here's a shot. Now here's how they tried to make it and failed. And here's the alternate shot that they didn't use. Yeah. And here's how they made it. I would love that stuff. Planet Earth is incredible. How they get some of those close ups and like tell a story through some of the stuff. It feels like feels like like a bug's life or something like that with yeah. some of the stuff they're doing and how close they are. I just don't really understand it, to be honest. <laughs> it's like a bug's life. But really. It is. No, but like I that's how it. I literally feel when I'm watching Planet Earth I sometimes. So I'm like, how are you following this cricket through the <laughs> jungle floor? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, and, and like telling the that's whole story it. of it. It makes no sense. That's why I want to see it. That's it, why I want to see it. Uh, like a hundred millimeter macro of a cricket through a forest. Floor. Even then, you would still need to be like on top of it. That's what I don't understand. Okay, I'm gonna regret asking this question because it's about EVs, and this is probably just gonna turn into a whole other episode. Let's go. But um, I I like kind of was thinking about it and thought it was interesting. Um, where do you think Tesla will be in the EV industry in five years? Do you think they'll still be as prominent as they are currently, or do you think other legacy companies will take mar take back market share? Oh, the age old question. So I think the, the initial question. response to that is there is zero chance that the other companies won't be taking back market share because of how much Tesla owns right now. Yeah. Like, I think that's the easy way to put it. Yeah. So there's a bunch of ways to think about this. The, the future of the next five years of electric cars, has a couple things have to happen. One, right now, uh, less than 1% of all like cars are electric, but an increasing portion of new car sales is electric, right? Yeah. So what we're looking for is how fast do people turn over and replace their current gas cars that they're driving with EVs? It's not like in five years, every car on the road is electric. People no, keep their cars for a long time. I'd love it, but it's not Yeah, that would be a dream. So what we have to look forward to is what reason do people give to switch to make their next car electric because people buy cars you know for the next 5 years how many people will choose electric versus not electric right now tesla if you ask like industry enthusiasts and people who study this people say tesla's 5 years ahead 5 plus years ahead and that's because of how many superchargers they have their drivetrain technology the battery stuff the gigafactory all the stuff that they're making is just so hyper focused on electric cars that they're several years ahead of others yeah the question is how fast will the others catch up? Will companies like Mercedes, Ford, Audi, Toyota, will they all spin up and realize that this is the future of, of car sales in the next five years? That seems pretty fast. I, I think five years is where we start to see everything getting really interesting. Like I think where we start to see some more competition and all of them really ramping up and getting to the point that we I think a lot of people kind of think we're at now, despite not actually being there. I still do think Tesla's market share goes down in the EV because, because they're just so high right now. And there's just going to be more options. And even if they're getting, so, that's nothing against Tesla. I still think they're going to be light years ahead of everyone else. Yeah. But they just own so much of the market share right now. So it's I want to, clar to I want to clarify your question. So, or your statement. So, mm -hmm. uh, First of all, I think uh, when I you win. say <laughs> when you say total total market share, are you talking about market share of electric cars yeah. or market share of, of all cars? EVs. Okay, market share of all cars. I think it's very likely that in the next five years, every 
consecutive year will be the most interesting year for electric cars. Yeah. I think 2021 is the most interesting year ever for electric cars. And I think next year is going to be even more interesting. That's, that's just true. More. Tech, I think, yeah. in general, every year is but specifically step forward. in yeah. this in this like growth category where it's like one percent of all cars now, and they're trying to be like five percent in the next five years. That would be really cool. Yeah, that would be awesome. I wonder if Tesla's electric car market share is smaller, but their overall market share is bigger. Does that make sense? Wait, say that again. So I think in five years there will be more Teslas than ever as a proportion of all cars on the road. Yes, correct. But in the electric car world, there will be more competitors than ever eating into their EV market 100 share. Yeah, that's okay. exactly what I'm saying. Totally agree with that. EVs are going to get bigger. Therefore, Tesla's overall market share is going to get bigger. But in the EV market, literally no matter what, they're just going to get more competitors are going to be coming very, very quickly. Because we've seen almost every car company pledge whether that pledge happens. Um, here's a, so we've seen all these pledges. Do we think the like latest one by a company going full electric is like 2050 ish, right? Uh, I've seen 2040 stuff. I've seen 2030 stuff. Um, so five years is like somewhere along the way for that. So like if we're thinking that somebody generally drives a car for 10 to tw 20 is a long time. If you can own a car for 20 years, I think the average impressive. is like seven. Really? Yeah. At least in America, it's like seven. Okay. We go through a lot of cars. Yeah. Too, I guess. Definitely. But so like, so let's say 2050 is when every car now is only manufacturing EV cars. Then you probably have another being generous 20 years. So like, I don't see us even getting close to a fully electric vehicle, even country till like 2070 probably. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. There's got to be a real incentive. The other thing is there's two more two more little things I'll toss in. One, EVs are all generally the top end of price in the market. They're all oh, pretty yeah. expensive. And when people are incentivized to buy a new car, they're looking for the best budget option. EVs are still barely not really in that conversation right now. Yeah. They have to be. They have to be in the future. And two, uh, that, that question we asked when we talked about Mercedes is like, do you think Tesla will get better at build quality, or do you think all the other companies will get better at making batteries and drivetrains and software? That's another future five-year question where it's like, when I look at those commitments and I see Audi saying, we'll go totally electric by 2030, I want to go, all right, but what about your software? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I love the electric part, but you have to commit to it in more than just making batteries and drivetrains. You have to commit to the EV, you know, pushing software updates to the car, like all this stuff that Tesla's been so far ahead at. So... The five years question is really interesting. If if your question, I forgot who asked this, but if your question was about in 20 years, will Tesla be as prominent as they are currently? I would definitively say no. There's going to be way more electric car competition for sure. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that they can move that fast in the next five years. I think Tesla's still going to be at apex in five years. I do really like your like just thought process though of which legacy company is going to like start really focusing on software or when is Tesla going to start really focusing on like build quality, luxury, like I guess other things just generally that they're not known for right now because there are a lot of things that people still prefer in the legacy companies and like who's going to make that step first? Yeah. And I have no prediction because I think both sides are extremely stubborn. Uh, yeah, five years is too fast to expect one of those to drastically change basically. Yeah, for sure. Weird. All right, I got one more. We can end probably on this one. So this is by Graham asks, what is one piece of retro tech that you wish would be brought back in its original form with some updates to make it more modern. I feel like we've answered a version of this before, but I love it just because I want to talk retro tech. 
Um, hmm. Do you have anything off the top of head that you you remember that you want would be like updated for 2021? Off the top of my head, no. Whether Adam can edit this to make it sound like it's off the top of my head, we'll see. <laughs> I think of a couple older things like the all black plastic MacBook that they made. I wish they would make an all black like M1 MacBook Pro again. Okay. I don't know if I, I don't want it to be plastic again, but I would love if they did an all matte black MacBook Pro. That'd be I, sick. I'm trying to think of something like really old. Like when I think retro, I think of something I used as a kid because oh. we're not the oldest right now. But then like I kind of go the same route you do. And I kind of wish they made like, do you remember the SA Active? Yep. I kind of wish they made a couple more phones that were like that. Almost like it has a case in it already, but then isn't as bulky as a big case. Does yeah, that make sense? There's some rugged phones out there, but they're not that great, yeah. to be honest. Okay. I say that as someone who wouldn't buy it, but... <laughs> well, uh, if, if they today made like a version of, uh, let's say the Pixel 6 comes out and there's a Pixel 6 active, which has like a rubber rubberized like outer shell and you can drop it from the top of a 50-story building and make a video about it. Would you cool. want that? I guess it all comes down to like the size of it, yeah. Pro- probably, mm, maybe. How? They always make them look so bad, though, at the yeah, same time. Like, I really thinking. didn't need the weird camouflage on the SA Active. Yeah, that was a little extra. That was way too extra. They were definitely, like, digging into that, like, the, like, construction market of people who wanted it to, yeah. Yeah. Not great. Well, I like the RetroTech shout-out, because I just want to say, we are finally dropping Season 2 of RetroTech next week. Yay! It's going to be good. Yeah. So, uh, I just want to, I'll explain it a little bit now, because this is finally, it's finally happening, and I've waited a long time to explain RetroTech Season 2. So... Season one was a bunch of episodes about individual pieces of tech, right? And like how they changed and shaped the future that came after them. So the Game mm-hmm. Boy happened and then portable gadgets were a thing from that point forward. Um, we had things like Sega Genesis, which changed gaming consoles forever. We had things like the, the 1984 Macintosh, which changed GUIs forever. So that was season one. Season two... We kind of had this thought where like, well, if we just keep going down the list, we're eventually going to run out of gadgets. So let's change up the theme. This season is on things we thought we'd have by now that we don't and where we went wrong and whether or not they're even a good idea in the first place. Now, you guys already saw the teaser I posted, which was uh, me on a hoverboard. So you can probably already guess what one of the episodes is about. Maybe some sort of flying apparatus. But like really actually diving into the question like, all right. 20, 30, 40 years ago, we all thought we'd have flying cars by now. All right, let's actually think about that and try to answer the question, why don't we? Should we even want that? How close have we actually gotten? Is that still in our future or have we shifted gears? That's uh, that's what Retro Tech Season 2 is all about. So it's a bunch of unique ideas we had of what the, the future would have that we haven't gotten to yet. I think it's really fun. That's awesome, yeah. Uh, we've got some great guests. We've got Neil deGrasse Tyson, of course, talking about almost all of our topics We've got Bill Gates, we've got comedians, we've got YouTubers, Judner's on, Saradici's on, uh, we've got, I mean, it's just a fun time. It's a fun time. So, highly recommend staying tuned to the channel next week. It will be a daily launch every single day of next week at 9 a.m. Eastern. So, for new episodes, they'll just drop on the channel just like normal videos. No sort of, like, fancy YouTube subscription stuff. We'll literally just drop the new videos and you can watch them. So nice. it'll be a fun time. I have one question about it. Yeah. Is that terrifying mask going to come back? 
Oh man. What was no. it? The UV mask? It was a it was an electrostatic thing where it was supposed to help your skin by shocking you. I didn't <laughs> manage to pull that one off oh, in man. episode two. Uh-huh. But uh there's plenty of other memorable stuff. Like uh we talked with well, I don't want to spoil too much. No, but don't spoil it. There's, it's there's, coming soon. There's a lot of great talks and a lot of great guests, so don't miss it. April's kind of lit, guys. April's pretty lit. Cool. All right. Well, that wraps it up for this episode. We've talked your ear off for a little while. Stay tuned to the channel for lots of videos. But until the next one, thanks for listening. Waveform is produced by Adam Alita. We are partnered with Studio 71, and our intro-outro music was created by Cameron Barlow. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.